Anyway, the reason I'm telling you all this is... I know why you're telling me all this. Yeah, I reckon you do. So time heals all wounds, I guess? It wasn't time that did it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. I'm Christian Spicer. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we are going to be recapping, reviewing, spoiling everything through Season 1, Episode 9 of The Last of Us. Season 1, Episode 9, Look for the Light is the name of the episode. Uh, Of course, we will not spoil anything from future week's episodes that includes anything from the future games. Uh, In in this case, The Last of Us Part 2, we won't be talking about that. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at decodingtv. Before we get into this week's episode of The Last of Us on HBO, I want to talk about a few things, make a few announcements. I want to first begin by acknowledging uh, Christian Spicer and his contributions to the podcast. Um I am. I've been really. This is my first time working with Christian in any extended format, and it's been such a pleasure and a joy. Um, Christian's been awesome to work with, and I've had a great time uh, doing this podcast with him. And it would. It's very difficult for me to imagine how I could have done this podcast with anyone else at this point. But Christian, I wanted to say thank you from me and our listeners. Um, thank you for participating in Decoding TV and helping us through this season of The Last of Us. Thank you so much. Uh, And thank you for having me and to the wonderful community that you've built here at Decoding TV and everybody who's come before me um, helping recap shows. It's just such a wonderful group of people. The emails are always fantastic and informative and clearly care is put into them. And it's a a great community, which I think we all know on the internet is not always the case. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) So it is a pleasure to be here. And I've loved, I've loved doing this show with you and I look forward to at least 17 more seasons of uh, the last of us on HBO. <laughs> Indeed. So a huge thanks to Christian and uh, be sure to find, you know, the, Christian's very public online. Like if you want to thank him personally, you can reach out to him and uh, send him some praise. I'm sure he would appreciate it. Uh, this is our recap of the season one finale, but there will be at least one additional episode of decoding TV covering the last of us in the near future throughout this whole season, Christian Spicer and I have been uh, doing bonus episodes at decodingtv.com for paid subscribers, where we compare the video game to the show. Uh, we will be doing that one more time and I will be releasing that episode publicly. Um, so be sure to keep subscribed next sometime next week. We'll be putting that out uh, where Christian and I talk about the season one finale, how it compares to the game and so on. Of course, if you want access to, those bonus episodes that Christian and I recorded and dozens of other bonus episodes. Be sure to go to decodingtv.com, become a paid member. Uh, That is how this podcast continues to keep going. Um, uh, The decoding TV paid members uh, are helping me to pay folks like Christian, all my other podcast co-hosts. We really appreciate it. So thanks to everyone at decodingtv.com for making this season of the podcast possible. Uh, in terms of decoding TV and its future, a uh, lo- lot of plans that are in the works right now. But the the big plan right now is that we are planning on covering Succession for season four. That's fourth and final season coming up in a couple weeks. So keep it subscribed to Decoding TV 
if you want to uh, get our succession recaps, uh, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. One of my favorite shows on TV. All right. Finally, before we get into this week's episode, I want to acknowledge that we got a lot of emails uh, over the course of last week to decodingtv at gmail.com about um, some comments I made about last week's episode. Specifically, um, I had said that I wasn't convinced really at Joel's heel turn in the last episode um, towards being extremely violent. And I thought that David's ending was a little bit over the top. Uh, we got, I don't know, dozens of emails at decodingtv.gmail.com saying they disagreed. I want to first start by saying thank you for all the emails. Thanks for engaging with um, our perspectives here on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, and I will say sometimes there's people that write in and it changes my mind on things. You know, I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't think about it that way. Thank you for that clarification. And then I'll change my mind. Um, this was not one of those times, you know, like uh, people wrote into decodingtv.gmail.com. And I think I, I still hold, stand by my opinions in our bonus episode. Uh, we talked about David and how that depiction differs from the show, uh, from the video game and how it's more subtle in the video game than in the show. And I think in the show, it, it is still feels to me quite over the top um, towards the end. And also Joel, I think with Joel, like waking up, having been on death's door for a few days and, barely even understanding what's going on for him to just like start wilding out on those guys. I still don't quite buy it, but we did get emails like this one from Jason who writes in quote, David, I appreciate your opinion that Joel's rage was out of character for the TV series, but I'm a non gamer and I disagree with you. It worked for me mainly because the show has done such great work building Joel and Ellie's relationship. Joel's number one value in life is family and Ellie is now family for him. The death of Joel's daughter, Sarah, was so painful to watch. I actually almost stopped watching the show entirely when it happened. I'm a father. I have a daughter and this scene was so painful to watch, but the pain is essential in developing Joel's character. Ellie has become a daughter for Joel and these men took Ellie away from him. The rage and violent murders work for me because one, his previous trauma of losing his daughter two, the incredibly strong relationship that Ellie and Joel have built and three, Joel's number one motivating factor in life being family and Ellie is now family, end quote. Um, so we got a lot of emails from that, uh, like along those lines. And again, totally respect. People have differing opinions. Um, I am reacting in good faith. You know, I am reacting to the show as a human being. I'm not trying to find nitpicks. I'm just reacting as David Chen would react. Uh, and that's how I feel about the show. But I love the engagement. So thank you so much for that. Christian, any thoughts on this? Well, I noticed, Dave, that you didn't read the email that came in from Spliston Chrysler, which said, cannibalism and child brides I can get behind. That's one David who seems like a good fella. Criticizing Joel's motivations is one David I cannot support <laughs> mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. I know indeed. who the real evil David is on mm -hmm. this show. Yes, indeed. And it's Mr. Chet. I noticed you didn't read that email, but that's I fine. Didn't. I didn't. Um, I didn't. You know, that's fine. I, I think that all you can hope for in a good critic or analyst of media is honesty and consistency. And I, <laughs> yeah. I find that to be the, the things that I seek out when I seek out media critiques and reviews. I'm not looking for confirmation about my beliefs. I want to know if they're, if they're consistent and they're honest, I will build a book of like, Oh, so-and-so usually likes these types of things or feels this type of way. These are the things that rub them the right way, the wrong way. And then you're able to go into that 
critique, their art of their critique of that other art with that in mind. And I think for me listening to you over the years, Dave, is that you've been nothing but that. And I've tried to be nothing but that on DLC. People, you know, when they come to that show about video games, hopefully over the years, they know the types of games I like. And I don't try to hide that. I don't try to sit there and be like, oh man, this tactical role-playing game with card-based combat is... It's like, don't come to my yard for that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Um, I'm not saying critics are above reproach. Like, if my viewpoints are nonsensical, um, that's I'm okay being called out on that. And like, so long as it's respectful, like, yes, please, please call me out on that. Um, But I I also see insinuations that like, oh, David, you're just trying to find ways to nitpick the show. I am having like an honest reaction to the show. I'm not trying to nitpick any. Like, this is just what my reaction to the show is. Um, and I appreciate, yeah, people who kind of recognize that and, um, and appreciate all the emails trying to like share their opinions that are different as well. It's, it's fascinating to read them. Cause I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that Joel's arc worked so well for everyone last episode, you know, but for me, it didn't work. Um, and we'll talk about whether it worked this episode or not. I'm very excited about that. The other thing I wanted to mention about the, uh, last week's episode is, uh, we talked last week's episode about how, uh, there was this kind of weird moment when uh, everyone was eating uh, at the dining hall and like, they were all really uh, <laughs> eating ravenously. And it was like, well, it's shot in such a weird way. Like what was going on there? Um, Mads over at decoding TV.com writes quote, uh, I took this as them being scared of David, the uh, cult leader. It's established many times that they are all starving. Also shown by the rationing of food and their tiny portions. In addition to them sitting there starved, they are waiting for David to complete the prayer before eating. And then we also see David's portion. He's pretty much eating the same as the rest of the people combined. Um, Also, this is hinting at him not being quite as benevolent as he tries to convince Ellie that he is, end quote. So uh, great points. Uh, And yeah, I think they're all extremely hungry and they're just kind of emphasizing how they're hungry. And also David's a selfish dick. Um, so great call outs there, Mads. Appreciate that. And all the comments over at decodingtv.com. Uh, all right. Those are the follow-ups I had for last week's episode. Again, uh, thank you for coming on this journey with us through this season of television. Uh, really grateful for all the engagement. And it's been wonderful to just kind of talk about a really popular show, engage with it on its own terms, and try to um, figure out what it does well and what, what uh, we didn't like about it. But let's talk about the season one finale, Christian Spicer. Season one, episode nine, Look for the Light. What did you think overall this episode? At the beginning of this show, Dave, you and I talked about uh, how I have a history with this franchise. I've loved this franchise. I worked on the video game official podcast. I was a big fan before that. I did a Halloween costume of it you know, way back when before you could readily buy clothes and apparel based on the last of us bought the comic when no one knew what the comic really was right it wasn't a pack-in in the hundred dollar collector's edition that people were fighting each other to get um so i want to restate all of that now as we get to the end of this show big fan of the franchise coming into it probably some bias on my part if they do a good enough job i'm gonna love it Dave, I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was so good. It was so short, which I was concerned about. I think it, the runtime yeah, was like 40. We, we turned, turned on the screener and it says 44 minutes, right? Yeah, it's like, like 43 what? without credits or 42. I, I, with, I, mean, I was thinking they're going to do like a 90 minute situation, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. I was 
honestly nervous because like oftentimes the way we consume media now, all of us, I think listeners as well, you know how long it is when you click into it. And I was like, ooh, red flag. This seems, I thought the pace of the episode was excellent. I thought the emotional beats were there. I think the work they did setting things up along the way, the clip that you played at the beginning of this, Pedro Pascal's performance in that moment of it wasn't time that healed my, it's just incredible. Ellie's despondent. Oh man. There is stuff that I can nitpick about it that I'm sure we'll get to that. Like whatever, but I've used this analogy before. I will use it again. In my opinion, this episode, which cannot stand alone, this episode relies on the work that came before it, all the episodes that came before it. But in my opinion, this episode, Aaron Judge broke the American League home run record again. I thought it was an exquisite episode of television, and I think more specifically, an incredible finale, which are hard to do, in my opinion. Because when this show was filmed, I have to guess that it was the series finale, because there was no guarantee of a season two. Oh, what a what a kick to the crotch, you know, <laughs> the way this, the season ends. And I think it ends beautifully without, there's not a end. And then you hear like threat come running, you know, like it, it ends in a way that I think is, is great. But at the same time, I can't wait to see what happens to these characters. I don't know if you disagree with me, Dave, I don't care. I freaking <laughs> loved this episode. I loved it to Christian. I thought it was very, very good. I thought it was... <laughs> uh, Chris is like, good, I'm not going to need to spend the next hour debating yeah. with Dave about how good the episode is. Um, I mean, there were some things I... There were a handful of things I didn't like. Um, but overall, I really uh, thought it was pretty great. Uh, and a home run in terms of nailing the finale. Um, I'm familiar with the story and already... But I'm like, the ending of the game is uh, one of the most effective endings of any game I've ever played. And it's very faithfully brought to life in this show. And I think they nailed it. They they did what they had to do. And they landed the emotional impact of this ending in a really great way. They got the most difficult parts right. And I thought they did a great job. So overall, I liked the episode. couple of nits I have to pick. But... Uh, I liked it overall. Christian, before we start doing a detailed recap of the episode, I want to mention that this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan. As a pioneer in the electric vehicle space, Nissan's always looking for ways to deliver new, meaningful technologies to EV owners. After all, Nissan's been making EVs since 1947, and their EVs have now traveled 8 billion miles by Nissan Leaf owners since 2010. 8 billion miles. That's the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. If you think that's electrifying, one of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole, and Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows that you don't get an EV for just the E. You get a Nissan EV because it makes you feel electric, because it sparks your imagination, it ignites something within you, it pins you to your seat, and it takes your breath away. At least that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs, like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design that electrifies its customers. I love Nissan's focus on creating a thrilling drive and an electrifying life. In today's world, it's important to look around you, to pay attention, to look for all the tiny ways that life can electrify you. And Christian, as I'm thinking about how life electrifies me this week, it's got to be doing the podcast with you, you know? It's got to be watching a provocative piece of art, reacting to a smart, 
intelligent, articulate person such as yourself, and then engaging with our wonderful Decoding TV community about this stuff. Um, it really does help to give me life a little bit. And I hope that over the course of the last two and a half months, Christian, that you've had a little bit of a taste of that too. So uh, in any case, really appreciate Nissan for sponsoring this episode of the show. Nissan EVs that electrify. Christian, after getting a couple cold opens earlier on in the series, no cold opens for many episodes, suddenly another cold open this episode. What a shock. Um, so there's a woman running through the woods. Uh, it's a woman played by actor Ashley Johnson, who plays Ellie in the game. She's playing a character named Anna in the show. She's pregnant. We hear infected or something behind her. She runs to an old uh, house and she calls out, it's me when she arrives, but there's no one there. The place is empty. She makes it upstairs. She barricades herself in the room. She takes out her knife uh, as infected pound on the door. And then when it breaks in and infected breaks in, she kills it. Um, during that time, she has surprisingly given birth. And at the same time, we also see an infection spreading on her leg. She cuts the umbilical cord. She picks up the baby and she names it Ellie. I'm just going to pause here, Christian. What was your reaction? I mean, we had no idea what this was, like why, what any of this is happening. It's not in the game. Um, what was going through your mind when you're watching this? Like, what was your sequence of thought? Uh, I was so excited to see Ashley Johnson, who we saw in, or I saw in trailers. I don't know if other folks avoided all media about this, but I was aware she was in the show mm, and I hadn't yeah. seen her yet. So <laughs> I was very much excited to see her in the show, much as Troy Baker played James in last episode, he played Joel. And we've seen a bunch of characters that have uh, played different roles or in Marlene's case, the same role from game to show. But I love seeing Ashley in the show. And I, I, once it became clear what happened, and for me, it was kind of the moment when she pulls out that knife. That's Ellie's knife. We've seen that knife a lot. I was pretty clued into what this is likely going to be and then confirmed by it. Uh, I think there's something beautiful in the fact that Ashley, quote unquote, gave birth to Ellie as a character in the video game by bringing herself to that role and acting as her and being that voice and all that stuff. And now literally gives birth to that person in the show i think it's mm -hmm. so beautiful and what a fun yeah. way again and i say this a bunch and i'll keep saying it because i think they keep doing it well to have that cool this is that person or thing from the game that you love here it is in the show but not doing it in a and here's ashley johnson you know like mm -hmm. kind of yeah. moment and i think this is another beautiful one and i think it also says a lot about why Ellie's immune. Like, again, there's so much that happens just in those moments that I think tells you about other stuff that we've seen in the show and kind of why it makes sense and um, how this all played out and the importance of that knife, you know, it has extra weight to it. It's not just a thing she had from Fedra that Ellie maybe carried with her from Fedra or this, that, and the other. And it's not a cold open set in the sixties or seventies or anything like that, but my golly, I thought it was a <laughs> I almost said infected effective effective <laughs> in um in setting the tone for what the, the stakes of the episode would be yeah i'm let's talk about the what happens at the rest of the cold open and then i have some like i have some overall thoughts on it um so yeah i was i was really curious about uh what was going on and um why they made the decision to have a cold open and who this character was but then i think it becomes clear like 
Ellie is dwelling on these events throughout the course of the episode. Um, as evidenced by later on, after the opening credits, like it's showing the flashback, and then it hard cuts to a close-up of Ellie's face. And I think we're meant to understand these events were... She, she was alive for them, but she couldn't remember them. But these events were probably recounted to her at some point. And that's on her mind as she and Joel are about to reach their destination. Um, but anyway, after the opening credits, um, we see people approaching the farmhouse... We don't know how long, how much time has passed, but it's Marlene. They enter, they go upstairs. We hear Anna singing the lullaby. Um, she's holding a knife to her neck, which is a really incredible visual. Um, and Marlene enters and she tells Marlene she cut the umbilical cord before she was bit. Um, now, you're saying, Christian, uh, in the show notes, that that's not what you recollect from watching the episode, right? She's lying about it, basically. And that's probably how Ellie got her immunity right yep i mean we see her leg we see the infection on her leg the the infected that comes into the farmhouse that attacks her right there that's not where that bite comes from um anna be lying in my opinion that she just wants she wants her child to live right she wants her child to to uh survive so anyway marlene is not happy with this whole situation you know uh anna wants uh, Marlene to take Ellie and keep her safe. Um, and also Anna wants Marlene to execute Anna. Right. Uh, and Marlene says she can't. And Anna begs for her to kill her. And so after taking Ellie out of the room, uh, Marlene executes her. Uh, she, <laughs> she told the other person like cover her ears, but then it cuts to a shot of Ellie and her ears are not covered. And I was like, man, I hope that did not do uh, hearing damage. Um, okay. So, Here's my reaction to this sequence. Like, overall, I think it was a good idea, and I like. like I think I think I like it overall. Um, but it raises questions that, like, I wouldn't even have if the show hadn't brought them up. Okay, um, and like, I understand why you need to include this because. Marlene knowing Ellie's Ellie's mom is really important for the ending of the show and the game. Um, Ellie being able to reflect on this, it's much more impactful if you know what actually happened, right? Like from a narrative perspective, it's very good. And also just like on a, on a genre filmmaking perspective, I think it's really well done. Like just, uh, you know, like a horror movie trope of this creature attacking this pregnant woman. It's really well done. You know, the whole time I'm wondering like, what, how did this even how did this situation happen? Like we know that infected aren't in rural areas in general. And this feels like a really rural area. Cause she's like going through this field at the beginning. And so, um, so that was the only thing where I was kind of like, what is, why is this even happening? Like, why is there like one single infected going after her? I know these are meant to be like mysteries because the show explicitly doesn't answer them. Um, but, uh, it did kind of make me like wonder because it's the show that brought up the idea that like out here in the middle of nowhere, there's no infect. Now, maybe she was actually in a suburb and we didn't see all the houses around her. I don't know. But I had a lot of questions about like h- how the situation even happened. Um, and the show didn't want to answer those. I will say that it did have one of my favorite visuals from the show, right? Which is there's a moment when. Yeah, and I had all these questions about like who who else is supposed to be in the house? Um, how long have they been in the house? Because it seems like a house that they know, you know, like all these questions that you know aren't answered, um, it, which is mildly frustrating. But I did really appreciate this visual of Anna going upstairs 
and kind of collapsing against the wall. And like, there's this kind of like, it's a nursery she's in. And it's like this tree that's been painted on the wall. And it's all like decaying and falling apart. And here you have this woman who's like giving birth next to this like painted tree on the wall in this nursery. That's like basically the ashes of society. You know, it's kind of this testament to how life finds a way. Uh, it's this striking visual representation of that idea that I really appreciated. Okay. So those are my thoughts on the opening. Uh, pretty good stuff, but I was kind of like, you know, it felt a little bit too yada, yada, yada uh, for me uh, in some respects. Uh, but overall, I think very effective storytelling, and I, I understand why they did it, and I think it was necessary for this episode. We hard cut to Ellie sitting in the back of an old truck zoned out. Joel approaches with some supplies, Chef Boy RD, the Boggle board game, and uh, Ellie seems pretty checked out this whole time. And, you know, Joel's trying to, like, um, talk about what he's doing, what he wants to do. And, you know, maybe we should find a guitar and teach you how to play guitar and so on and so forth. Um, this is the most friendly I've seen Joel be to Ellie the whole series, right? Like he's clearly really warmed up to her at this point and in, in like a good mood, which we don't see Joel in a good mood. So I think like time has probably passed, right? Like some time has probably passed since last episode. I don't know if you have any estimate Christian, but feels like, I don't know weeks have passed since the events of last episode what do you think yeah i agree i think i think time has passed i i don't know if i know exactly how much to your points about the open contrasted with ellie kind of zoned out i don't know if i should say my read was not that she was reflecting on those moments Mm -hmm. i think those moments are important for the story for other reasons for setting up you know, the end with Marlene and understanding how important Ellie is. And I think, as you talked about, the visual metaphor of the idea of the savior, Mm -hmm. of the world savior being born in this destroyed room. Yeah, yeah. And I think think that, I think it's important for those reasons to see. And I think we get some hints about um, where they were, they were supposed to meet up. Uh, Marlene apologizes, they got held up here, whatever. I also don't know, for me, the farmhouse, didn't necessarily need to be that far out of town. I say this half tongue in cheek, but half seriously. If you recall what this show presented the woods outside Boston looking like, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and same with the beginning of the pilot where the boy kind of stumbles. You mean, the you woods. mean Lowell, Massachusetts, how uh-huh. the, the show's vision of Lowell, Massachusetts was um, an idyllic pastoral setting, right? Yeah. So. And, and when the boy stumbles <laughs> through the woods to the QZ, like there's pretty dense woods right there, right in front of the, so yeah, I was yeah, able yeah. to suspend that disbelief of like, and, and there are some infected out and around, just not as many, you know, we're kind of told that like, they congregate in populated areas, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think, my take of Ellie in this moment was less reflecting on this moment in the story of her birth. And I think the weight of a journey coming to an end, the weight of mm. expectations. And so for me, the way I've internalized that in my life as I, I ran D1 track in college and every season you get to this point of your training for nationals or whatever conference, whatever this big meet is. And there's always this, there was for me, an emotional letdown even before the big competition of like, I have sacrificed so much to get to where I'm about to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What now? My whole purpose has been to get to here. 
And so even before you get there, I think you start reflecting on what that is. And, and for me, my read was Ellie has been through so much trauma, you know, this whole journey and how traumatic it's been on her. And the idea we've talked about on this show, Dave, about, you know, youth being resilient or, you know, what it means actually to have all this trauma put on you as a young child. And here she is on the cusp of the air quote end and what that must feel like. Whereas Joel, I think on the other side of it has found love, has found a purpose, is elated. It has these moments of like, yeah, after we do this, we're going to go have our awesome life together. So I think he's a little chipper and Ellie's like, oh crap, everything I've believed in now for the last however long it's been, it's mm-hmm. come down to this. What does this mean for me now? That was my take on kind of Ellie's Interesting. psyche. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't deny that those things are on her mind, but I, I just feel like the visual language is meant to make us think that she's thinking about it because they could have opened the episode in a different way. They could have like hard cut from Anna being executed to Joel and Ellie walking down the street. They could have done that instead, but they cut to ultra close up on Ellie. And so it does make me feel like she's thinking about these things, how she got to this point. Um, And as you're, as you said, the weight of it, the weight of it, which is like, People have sacrificed so much for her to be here, you know, mm-hmm. her mother, um, Riley in some ways, right? Like, uh, yes, they weren't like explicitly trying to give their life for her, but like it ended up, ended up happening, you know? And, uh, and I think probably there's some desire on her part to make it all worth it. You know, uh, it's a very relatable feeling, I think. And so, Yeah. And this is, um, it's a very interesting performance from Bella Ramsey because this is the most disconnected that we've seen Ellie throughout the whole series. Like the whole, the previous eight episodes, she's kind of had a very similar personality until maybe the end of episode eight, right? When she was obviously very traumatized by what happened there. Um, But she's kind of been very like um, plucky and flippant and so on. And this episode, it's markedly different. and yeah, I think you're right. It, it has to do with like the, the ending of a journey and the culmination of all these things. So anyway, uh, they head into a, like towards a skyscraper in Salt Lake City. Uh, there's a couple of there's a really fun video game moment where there's like a ladder there and like Joel needs to like boost Ellie up to throw the ladder down. Uh, this is a very common situation in video games where it's like you are in a room that's untraversable and you need to like boost the character up or a character needs to jump down and like extend a bridge or whatever. Um, so it's a, it's a very clear nod to the games. Ellie runs off uh, and Joel follows and uh, they see giraffes uh, wandering around the city. It's a really beautiful moment. And that's when Joel says to Ellie, Hey, by the way, we can just forget about this whole thing. If you want, you know, we can just go back to where Tommy's colony. And, um, and that can be that, like, we don't have to go through this because who knows what's up ahead. And Ellie says, after everything we've been through, after everything I've done, it can't be for nothing. What do you make of this whole sequence, Christian? I think the giraffes work really well. Giraffes work really well as a thing to pull Ellie out of her funk. You know, I, I'm t- I was trying to think of like, what would it take to pull me out of a malaise that deep or a depression or something? And I could only imagine, I, I love giraffes 
as is, you know, here in the LA zoo, you can go, I think, I forget mm-hmm. if it's early or late. Cause it's hasn't been since the pandemic, but you can go and feed them. You, you, you love giraffes even when you're not coming yes. to the end of a traumatic journey. Exactly. They're majestic, <laughs> incredible, impressive creatures. And here's this girl who, you know, has lived vicariously about the world, learned about the world through a book in a way that hasn't been able to experience it in the way that many of us have, even just on computers where I can pull up a picture of the Eiffel Tower, even if I never, whatever, right? Like Ellie has not had that experience. And now to stumble upon safe, friendly, and I was like, yes, that would pull a child. I think that would pull anyone out of sadness, at least for a moment. How beautiful, how wonderful. And then I, I, I think Joel recognizing again, the end of the journey being imminent in this idea of perhaps selfishness of we don't have to do this, I think is uh, an interesting perspective into Joel's character, perhaps, because early on, right, in this journey, he was leave her, let's go back. You know, this is FUBAR, we're done, Tess. We're going back. You know, this isn't worth it. And he only brings her forward as Tess's dying wish, right? And now there's this moment of Joel, and and in my opinion, the kind of take I had was he's willing to check out of the mission, but he's not willing to check out on Ellie, right? It wasn't I'm gonna leave. It's we can leave. We can go have our life. We can do something else. And I thought that was a really interesting, beautiful moment. At the same time, I I found it. Uh, repulsive is not the right word, but a little scary of putting this weight on a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have to do this. It's your call kid. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that's, I think that's probably right to have her consent, but fortunately it's the most inappropriate thing that Joel does during the episode. You know, (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't do anything worse than this. Um, yeah but i think that hints at that right it hints at perhaps his worldview and his character um as a as a person and and maybe what he thinks for love i don't know i I thought it's interesting i think it's literally the theme of if not the episode then the show right which is that joel wants to hold on to what he has and that's um that that's ultimately what leads to the ending of the show that we get is Joel wants to hold on to what he has. And he's like, Hey, I don't know if these fireflies are going to have this cure, blah, blah, blah. But I know this is working. No, this, uh, father surrogate, father, daughter relationship is working. So if you want to just keep the way it, things are right now, then, uh, I'm totally game for that. That's kind of his whole deal. Right. Um, but Ellie's like, no, let's finish it. Like this has to all mean something. They go you know, they, they continue their trek through the city and uh, Joel reveals that earlier on in the series when he said that he uh, shot and missed or someone shot and missed him, like the person that shot and missed him was himself, that he had tried to uh, uh, kill himself. And uh, he says it was because Sarah died. He didn't see the point of continuing anymore. But when he went to pull the trigger, he flinched and he still doesn't know why. Uh this whole sequence was this whole scene was beautiful, I thought. First of all, there's a great moment when Ellie casually brings up Sarah. Like he's like, was it was Sarah still around or blah blah blah? And um I was I was honestly taken aback when she said the word Sarah, because I think earlier on in episode like five or six, when he had brought up she had brought up like, you know, I'm not your daughter, and you know, 
Like I'm not, res- and earlier on, like I'm not responsible for Tess dying, like all this stuff. And he's basically his reaction to that is, you get those names, you keep my daughter's name out your effing mouth is kind of what he's trying to say about his daughter, Tess, like anyone. He does not want Ellie to have any part of that. Um, and now. Uh, she's just casually, casually tossing it off. Like, like they've talked about it for many times already. And I'm just like, wow, what a market change in this relationship, you know? And what a, what a lovely way of show, what a lovely, subtle way of showing how the relationship has changed too. Right. Is like, um, I I've had beef with time jumps in the past, but I kind of love, uh, that there have been some time jumps in the show and you kind of get a sense of like, yeah, these people are more used to each other and he, she can just say Sarah without fearing that he's going to freak out at her. Uh, and then, of course, he like says explicitly that like the reason he's healed is not because of time and and kind of heavily implies that it's because of Ellie. And again, this goes back to this idea of Joel stating what his feelings are really explicitly, which I think is just or not explicitly. He didn't say like it's because of you. He didn't say that. But like um, sharing his feelings with Ellie in a really profound way that is just very moving. And I think is kind of rare on TV. All right, Christian, I've talked a lot about the scene, which I really appreciate. What did you think? I thought it was beautiful. And I thought the, the way that the creators wrote themselves into it was also really well done where they show up at this new type of triage center that we haven't seen before. It didn't look Fedra and Ellie kind of questions that like, that's the entry point to this conversation. It's, Oh, this was an old army tent set up right after the outbreak. They thought they're going to do blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you sure know a lot about these. Well, I was here mm-hmm. two days after. And like, yeah. it felt like a very natural way into the conversation. It wasn't Joel being like, <clears throat> Well, Ellie, our journey's almost done. So let me give you some exposition about me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. like yeah, it felt yeah, 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 yeah. very natural how they'd be going into yep. this. And I thought it was a, a wonderful, a wonderful conversation. I think stellar performances by both. Um, if I were to knit any, if I were to pick any knits in this scene, and I think kind of through the next, and maybe the explanation is because they were disarmed because of their emotions. But I felt that perhaps the characters walking into a major city <laughs> seem to have their guard down a mm-hmm. little bit yeah, based on yeah. what's happened in every major city they've walked into. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, yeah. so that'd be my net. But I'm also in the moment. I didn't have that. It wasn't like, what the get your gun ready. It was in thinking about it like, oh, they're in the middle of Salt Lake. Like, get your gun ready. But I think the emotions of the scene um, disarmed me, the viewer. And I would guess you know, disarm the characters in those moments as well. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, that's how I felt about it too. I didn't have an issue with that. I, I have an issue with a couple of other things, but I didn't have an issue with that. Uh, I thought that was completely fine. Um, Cause yeah, they're, they're having a bonding moment and maybe their guards down, but anyway, um, there's a, some more reading from the pun joke book. And in the background, someone enters and throws a flashbang. Uh, people with guns close in and uh, they, take Ellie away and they incapacitate Joel. Joel wakes up. He's in a firefly station. Marlene's standing by him. And uh, she says the patrol didn't know who they were. Ellie's fine, but she's worried about Joel. Marlene says Ellie's being prepped for surgery and says the doctor thinks Ellie's been infected since birth. And then it makes normal cordyceps think she has something that makes normal cordyceps think that she's already infected. So the doctor is going to try to remove that messenger, I think, is what she calls it from from her, and try to produce other chemical mes- messengers 
um, and hopefully engineer a cure from it. Uh, Joel then points out that cordyceps grow in the brain, and so it's clear that the the procedure is going to kill Ellie. Uh, but that they didn't tell her about this, so there wouldn't be any fear or pain. Uh, and Joel wants to be taken to her, but they're like, that's not going to happen. Um, Marlene tells Joel uh, that she also you know, knows Ellie where she was born, and it's also really, like, she promised to take care of Ellie, and so this is very difficult for her, Marlene, as well. Um, so she knows what Joel's going through, but she has no other choice. And Joel says, you do have a choice. Um, so anyway, Marlene says, you know, GTFO to these two guys. Um, take Joel out of here. Joel, by the way, here's a knife. That was a little weird to me when she gives him the knife. Um, Ellie's knife, like this yeah. sentimental knife. Yeah. But yes, here's arm the most dangerous man in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, here's a, yet another weapon you can have. Um, now GTFO. What I like about this ending, like what what I really love about this whole episode and the, the ending is like, um, there is a kind of solipsism when it comes to grief. Do you know, like this kind of, there is no one outside of my experience that is experiencing what I am experiencing. Right. And Joel is in that zone. He's like, you, you can't possibly understand. And Marlene's like, look, I've gone through shit. You don't even know about. Okay. With this, I have helped to raise this person or not raise. Cause in, in the, uh, in the game, they kind of um, are like much better acquainted than they are in the show prior to the events of the show. But in the show, at least, like, she knows and has made promises um, about this girl and, and has her own set of feelings attached. And Joel, I think, is kind of incapable of seeing that, right? Like, th- that grief does something to you where, like, you can't... It's hard to put yourself into other people's experiences when you're, you're experiencing it. Um, and I love how that's, like, brought out by this whole sequence up until the end. But before we get to the rampage, Christian, any other thoughts on this whole sequence with how this plays out? Well, I'm going to spring a question on you. So I apologize, Ooh. but you've done it to me a couple of times yeah, over no the worries. course of the season. So it seems fair. And I'm also going to spring the question on our audience. And I'd love for them to, I'll give them a prompt to comment over on Decoding TV and, and kind of. Decoding TV uh, at gmail.com as well. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. And let, let us know. I'm cur- I'm fascinated by this question. Yep. Mr. Chen. Would you have told Ellie advance of surgery that to make the cure, you have to kill her? Would you have given her an option to have agency over that decision or not? Because Joel gave Ellie agency over who goes with you. So I think it's like painting every character as a shade of gray in some way, like maybe a different stakes than we're going to kill you to make a cure, but who goes with you, me or Tommy gives her some choice here, Marlene, who has told Ellie this is her purpose, doesn't give her this last choice. Mr. Chen, would you give her that last choice? Dear audience, would you give her that last choice? Or would you do what Marlene does and have her go out gracefully unaware? I don't know exactly what I would do in this situation, but I'll tell you Boo. what I would. I'll tell you, I, I, think, I, I think I would probably <laughs> give her the choice. I would probably give her the choice, right? Um. But I'll tell you what I wouldn't do, Christian. I wouldn't not tell Ellie and then tell Joel right afterwards. (laughs) That is a huge strategic miscalculation. You know, like that would lead to disaster as it did in this case. 
Um, because at the very least, if she told Ellie, then Marlene could say to Joel, hey, Ellie chose this path. Like, or lie to Joel. Lie to Joel. Yeah, or lie to Joel. We, told you know, her, like, we told her she wanted it. <laughs> she wanted exactly. to die so bad. <laughs> exactly. And then it's like, well, what is Joel? Is Joel really going to explicitly go against, you know? Um, so, but the fact that they didn't tell Ellie and that, like, it really gives Joel, like, a better. And then they said that to Joel. And then they basically, Marlene basically played it wrong, is what I'm trying to say, you know? Uh, in hindsight, look, hindsight's 2020. Okay, so maybe I'm Monday, I'm Monday morning quarterbacking this whole situation. Maybe if I was in Marlene's situation, I would have done the same thing. But um, it feels like a bad move to not tell the um, girl who's passionate about saving the world what's actually going on. And then actually tell her surrogate dad, who we know is a murderous, occasional psychopath, um, about the whole situation. That feels bad to me. You know, I, I, I love it. But I'm not head of fireflies, Christian. So, you know, that's why, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, it it is a, a actual representation of the hypothetical trolley situation, right? (laughs) Would you push someone in front of a trolley to save a hundred? Would you kill one to save a hundred? Or how, when does that change for you? But I love what this adds to it is the other variable of, would you tell the person you're going to push in front of the trolley? that you're going to push them mm-hmm. to, because it's not, would you volunteer to be the person in front of the trolley? That's not the decision that Marlene had to make. It wasn't kill me to save everybody, but are you going to tell the person you're going to kill that you're going to kill them to possibly save everybody or not? And I think that is an, an I will be more hip, not hypocritical, but I will play the middle even more than you here, Dave, and say that I think that is an impossible choice to make unless you are in the situation to make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we could pontificate about what we would do in that situation, but my goodness, the weight of the world on you in that moment, we're like, if you legit and you have a doctor being like, this is a really great chance at a cure, we just need this thing. Like, I, I could see a version of me being like, okay, well, I want Ellie to know what we're going to do and then telling her and then watching Ellie go, uh, you know, absolutely bonkers saying, no, don't do this. It's not worth it. And then me being like, uh, guards. <laughs> what, what, what makes, S- well, her, what please. makes it more tricky in this situation, Christian, is I think the sense we get from Ellie is that she was willing to sacrifice herself, you know, like, yeah, she's like that later. I, yeah. Well, well, later, later, are you saying in the episode or are you saying yeah, in the episode in the episode? There's I, I feel like there's this weight of like, what's my purpose now if I have no purpose? But also earlier on, she's given the choice to not deviate from the path. And I think like the the implication is like, hey, if we Joel is making it's like if we continue, um, we could die on the way to the final destination. Mm. You know, like we could die when we get there. We could there's all you know, they might want to torture you. Like, I think. All of that is built into that question. So she's already kind of as- assented to this path. And so that does complicate it. It'd be different if I didn't know that Ellie was into it, right? Like if it was just some random person. And what if that person's an asshole? And they're like, no, I don't want to die. Sorry. It's going to be me. Me or the whole world? It's going to be me. You know, like, um, but the fact that it's like, we know it's Ellie, like, and she's really game to do whatever, that does make it difficult to kind of make an impartial call on this one, but I would probably tell her because uh, probably mostly because I know she was into it. So uh, anyway, 
at that point, the Fireflies learned something that I learned from the Shane Black movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is if you're <laughs> holding someone hostage, you got to give at least five feet of distance between you and the back of the person, you know, in case they try to like reach for something. And yet, and yet, Christian, despite literally hundreds, if not thousands of people in the history of movies and TV shows dying over the, because of this mistake, the Fireflies holding Joel hostage continue to make this mistake. Hold on, I need to look up something real quick. Uh, I want this in the episode. I'm looking up for real, in real time, dear listener. Yeah. Um, see, Dave, here's the problem. I knew yeah. it. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang came out in 2005. Oh, shit. That's why, yeah. There's so no the guards. Pa- yeah. yeah. They didn't someone, know. I, I saw someone bring up, I think it was uh, on, on social, like Twitter or something like that. Someone was like, can you imagine pop culture being frozen from 2003 people would still be making austin powers jokes yeah you know in 2029 or tw- tw- you know whatever like so those what firefly I... guards would never have learned the lesson that you learned dave they would have been mm, right true. up on joel's back the whole that's time. true that's true that's true there yeah anyway so then anyway joel gets a jump on him and just goes on a complete murderous rampage um and like kills everyone and um i think it's a really well done sequence like i I completely, you know, here, here is a situation where I completely buy Joel's turn. I think it's been set up well. Um, I, I hate to bring up last week's episode again, but there was just kind of a, a wantonness and cruelty to what Joel was doing last week with like killing those two guys with the map that I don't even think is present here. Like here he spares the, um, the two nurses that are operating on Ellie, right? Like, um yeah but, but he kills he, that other person who puts their gun down, down and puts their hands up that's like true. that's true but that guy was shooting at him so or was thinking about shooting at him but yes i mean uh, t- to me joel's turn here makes complete sense. like ellie is explicitly in danger these people are trying to like take him away from her like it makes complete 100 percent sense to me that Joel would then fly into a murderous rampage in the way that he does in this episode. And, you know, it's a, it's a series of shootouts where, like, there's chaos going on through the halls. O- overall, I think it's really well done. Christian, any moments you want to bring up from this whole sequence? I think visually it's beautiful. Um, there's a softness to the murder. You know, like, this is a very violent and gory show, but not in the way a lot of apocalyptic stuff is. We talked about it in the pilot, even when, like, an infected is eating the throat of somebody and we see tendrils, but it's not it's not gore porn. And I think the same is true here of this murderous rampage, right? This isn't gore porn, but it is violent and disturbing. I, I, if I were to find, again, if I were to pick a nit... Joel is a bad mofo. We've been told that. Yeah. But I don't I I don't know if Joel emerges from a Firefly compound without taking a hit. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. like I and I, I again I love the way it shocks. I think it kind of answers a lot of those questions. Like you don't he asks there's one scene where he asks, Where is she? And they're like, I'm not gonna tell you, and he's like, bang. And so I'm assuming he interrogates other people and finds out where she is, but like mm-hmm. he's wandering through this hospital kind of not knowing where Ellie is and getting the jump on every guard. And like, there's a scene where like the guards, like he shots fire to like, they're aware of it. Um, Maybe the fireflies are disorganized. They weren't expecting this. I just don't, I, a lot of the show I think is pretty grounded in terms of like, I'm 56 climbing stairs sucks. Yeah. And, And Joel, 
I, I think the explanation is just he's a bad mofo and this yeah. is him heightened to 11 and nothing's going to stop him. Uh, I don't know if I would have thought it was better if he got like clipped once, you know, yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. that's just more of a I, trope and that doesn't make it right, better. Right. But like, I, I had a, I, you know, um, I didn't have that problem with this, you know, and I think that uh, they just, I think they just did a pretty good job with filming it. What I mean oh, by that dude, is like, yes, they, they, they did a pretty good job plausibly showing him taking out all these people. And you can kind of understand how like, they're probably not even, they're not prepared for someone inside the compound to be going on a murderous ramp. Like who that's not even a scenario, you know, I, I guess it's a scenario they might've planned for, but like probably not today, they weren't expecting it. And so um, it's probably like pretty peaceful most of the time, you know, in this place, because you'd think it's pretty protected. And so, yeah, you were about to comment on, on some of the aspects of the filming. Oh, I mean, I, I love the the shots, but the cuts between the action in particular, there's the, the shot um, where there's like a casing on the ground out mm-hmm. of Joel's gun and he kind of steps past it or through it and it spins it a little bit. And the moments that they're able to cut from active shooting to him transitioning to a new space, I think are exquisite. I think so very well shot. It's not like dissolves and fades or whip pans to take us from one thing to another. I think you're, you're really spending time with the character, but also it is a montage of sorts, right? They are yeah. expediting him as he moves through the space, but I think it's handled really, really well. And just, um, again, it, it threaded the needle of being loving and disturbing, right? Like it's soft and caring in a I, way of sure. like, I know what he's doing, but my God is what he's doing. Horrific. I, I don't see, I'm just going to put out there. I don't see any loving in this at all. Like, Oh, I think it's loving it, in the it, sense that taken is loving. Like Liam Neeson is good at one thing and he's going I, to do it. I, I, I guess. I mean, I see it as fundamentally a um, largely a like he 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 wants Ellie to survive, but he wants Ellie to survive for him. Yeah, right? oh yeah, it's he, a total broken. He doesn't want yes. it's a selfish it's a selfish act. It's not like sure. it's not like Ellie's like begging for her life and he's saving her. It's like Ellie, for all we know, is cool with this outcome, right? And he is removing her agency because he wants to feel better. He wants to feel love and hope in his life again i think and, love is often selfish <laughs> maybe that reflects uh, yeah my i guess that's, a, that's a it's like i don't <laughs> i don't think love in its pure form is is that way i think love in its pure form is selfless but i think we've just learned you and me shouldn't be married christian no i'm just joking <laughs> <laughs> it took a podcast to do it mm-hmm. otherwise we were so mm-hmm. close mm-hmm. so anyway um joel breaks into this operating room and there's three me- medical professionals in the room um, he opens the door and he sees three medical professionals there and, um, there is a, he says like, un, like unhook her, like give her to me. And the doctor guy who like, seems like he's like operating or something. He's like, I won't, I won't let you take her. And he just shoots him in the head. The other two nurses kind of like cower in the corner. He, he spares them, but then he takes Ellie and then flees. I will say the camera lingers on the doctor's dead body in a very similar fashion in the way that it lingered on the dead body of the guy that Joel, whose neck Joel broke in, um, in episode seven or whatever. Is it seven, six? Anyway. Um, Alec, I believe was that character's name. Hannah's dad from, yeah. uh, uh, Davidstown or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that, um, the show does want us to think that like these deaths are, 
significant in some way, but we'll see how that plays out. Well, um, I, I think there's weight to it in the sense of the my read on that watching it is how many, let's say Ellie learns the truth. Yeah, yeah. How many doctors can do that procedure? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like let's assuming the three medical professionals in the room are the three people who could do this, and yeah. you just killed the chief one. Oops. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, but I, I do think the camera does like spend time lingering on it, and it's like, oh, like what has he done? What has he done? You know. Anyway, Joel carries Ellie with her into an elevator. Uh, and they go into the parking garage, and then Marlene comes around the corner with a gun and is like, you can't keep her safe forever. Um, and it's like, hey, you can still make up for this. It's still possible, even after everything you've done. This was the one scene that I was kind of like, um, was kind of rough for me, Christian. This is the one thing that I was like, it's, it's very similar to what it is in the game, but it's like, um, first of all, I, I really think they needed some kind of sh- interstitial shot of Marlene fleeing and going downstairs i i think usually i think you don't need that kind of stuff like you can just cut to her there and no one's gonna ask any questions but here i was like wait why is marlene just why is she waiting there like what what is the purpose of her being there at all like it doesn't make any sense um my read is that's where the cars are that's like she knows joel that's joel's way out she knows that he's gonna meet yeah he's gonna go there i guess yeah that, that makes sense um but then it's like, you know, it's still going to be okay even after everything you've done. I'm like, really? He killed like 50 dudes. I don't think it's going to be – there's no way he's going to come back from this. You know, like, And Marlene implies there's another doctor, I think. You know, like my read is like, oh, you just killed the doctor that can do that. And Marlene's like, we have more doctors. Yeah, we have more. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I mean it is it – is, um, this is a thing that came up in another post-apocalyptic show, Station Eleven, of like after a mass casualty event, uh, like a pandemic or in this case a fungal infection, like – um, there's not going to be many doctors left. And like your ability to reconstitute or to retrain doctors is extremely limited in this world. Right. So I think you're right. Calling out that it's like, wow, like the options are limited, but anyway, Marlene's like, she's whatever the truth of that matter is. She's like, let me just solve the problem of this yeah. guy being on a murderous rampage. First, we'll deal with the doctor situation. Second. And then we cut to, Joel driving in a car and we see Ellie groggy in the back waking up um, and she tells her this whole story. Um, She tells her this whole story of how uh, the Fireflies ran some tests on her. He Um, tells her. Joel tells her. Joel tells her. Yeah. Joel tells Ellie like the Fireflies ran some tests on you. And um, I, I think it's like there are others like you and they haven't been able to engineer a cure. Right. That's kind of the thrust of it. Right. Like. By the way, there have been other, tons of others like you, and also they found that they can't engineer a cure, so they decided to let us go. I thought this whole scene was like so cool, like so creepy and well done. Because like you can tell Ellie's like, "Where are my clothes?" She's like, "Where are my clothes?" Like this doesn't even in her groggy state. She's like, "This doesn't make any sense," you know. And, uh, Raiders showed up. Yeah, we yeah, had to leave. And, and we had to leave immediately, you know. And she's like, "Um." It, Man, that that scene was just brutal, you know, because you can tell she's like – they're both trying to like process what's going on and um, oh, I, I just was so impacted by the scene. But anyway, we we then learned that like Marlene didn't make it and we see that like Joel has murdered Marlene 
Joel has both shot Marlene and then executed her in cold blood, I believe. Um, and, and it's a brutal, um, brutal killing. And and this one, I did feel was extremely plausible, and I did feel the impact of this one. You know. Um, all right, Christian, I'll pause there for a moment before we get to the the final final scene. But like, any thoughts on this whole whole sequence? I thought Bella and Pedro in the car again, exquisite acting. Yeah, so I think good, so good. Bella sitting there, even Bella's reaction of drugs, because Joel says to Ellie, "Oh, the drugs are wearing off. Take it easy." And Ellie sitting there going, "The the drugs again," reminding us that Ellie was not given agency over the decision to yeah. be. Like why did she? Have, why was she drugged at all? You know, like she's confused. Yeah. yeah. And then um, Joel, after Ellie, kind of rolls back over in the backseat of the truck and looks away from Joel, which I think is so powerful. And then that yeah, scene, yeah. The, the moment of Joel just going, "I'm sorry," which is, I th- I think so much, right? I'm sorry that you're not the the hope, the savior. It, you know that you're crestfallen about the lie I've told you about there's others and there's no cure. Sorry. It's not going to be you. But also I think Joel's side of it is, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, like, yeah. I, I took this from you and yeah. um, I thought it was wonderful and, and incredibly performed. And then Marlene just two strategic errors in, and I'm not <laughs> criticizing the scripting of the pacing mm-hmm. of the story. I think mm-hmm. you know people make mistakes, but yeah, letting Joel out, uh not zip tied or hog tied like yeah. bag him tag him if you want to let yeah, him live drop that's him, fine dro- yeah drop him off outside the city limits you know like yeah zip tie hood back of a truck <laughs> drive away kick out then throw the knife out and yeah, say yeah throw the knife out and yeah i've given I, I mean, you I, a gallon I, of water good luck and then uh, at the garage I, sorry pop him yeah pop him pop pop well she okay he, he, i can't i can't believe i'm in this position uh christian but i'm gonna i'm gonna now defend the show right like wasn't well, the show this is marlene i'm gonna defend marlene right <laughs> like i'm gonna defend marlene in this decision making right like um joel did do them a huge solid right like he did something yeah, i never impossible. wanted to be in your debt now i right am. right and it's like yeah. okay so the least she can do is not hog tie him and drop him off outside like that's a very <laughs> It's a very human. It's a very human thing for her to not want it. Right. <laughs> the other thing is, um, uh, why doesn't she just pop him? Because he's holding Ellie at that time, right? So he's like, she doesn't want to hurt Ellie, right? So she can't. Yeah, just but don't shoot put him. your gun down, Dave. Don't don't do the disarm the situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, put I her that. down. Yeah, put her down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Hey, hey, trust me. Look. <laughs> Marlene made made um, a number of strategic errors throughout the course of the episode. We can all agree on that, okay? Um, but yeah, th- that this scene more than the last scene of the episode really was just devastating to me. This was the mm-hmm. most impactful mm-hmm. scene, right? In the car. Um, okay, so then they're driving towards Wyoming. Beautiful shots, like establishing shots outside. The car breaks down. They have a hike remaining. On the hike, Joel opens up about Sarah, saying they used to hike all the time, and says Sarah would have liked Ellie. Um, they're different, but they would have gotten along. And Ellie's like, I bet I would have liked Sarah, too. Um, before they get to the town, Ellie tells Joel about the mall, Riley, and how she got bit. And she says Riley turned, and he- Ellie had to kill her. And she was the first to die, and then Tess, and then Sam, and all these people. And she asks Joel to swear that everything he says about the fireflies is true. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. And I'm saying, boy, Christian, I'm really glad I spent five minutes reflecting on Riley's ambiguous fate in last episode. 
Um, because you find out, of course, in this episode that uh, Ellie had to kill Riley. Um, or she she did kill Riley, and that's something that really weighs on her. Um, which I I actually don't recall. We're getting, for our bonus episode, we'll talk about like I don't remember that specific detail being in the game. I remember her saying Riley. I remember her telling Riley like him that Riley died, but I don't remember her saying that she killed Riley in the game. Maybe she did. I don't recall. Um, we'll we'll find out the don't don't email us. We'll find out whether or not that's the case when we record our bonus episode. But anyway. Um, she tells Joel to swear everything about the fireflies is true. And Joel swears that it was, and Ellie says, okay. And then cut to black. That's the end of season one. Um, one of the most telling parts about this show or this scene, I think for me is when Joel tries to like comfort her, he's like, that wasn't your fault. And like, when you survive, like you just, you just got to keep on going. You just got to keep on. You think it's not worth it, but you got to keep on going. And he's speaking to this core of human nature of just surviving no matter what the cost. And in a way, that's what Joel is trying to do. He's trying to survive no matter what the cost, right? And in this case, the cost was massive loss of human life. Christian, your thoughts on the ending? And then I want to talk more generally about like what the themes of the show were, in your opinion. But yeah, what, 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 what do you think about the ending, this, this final scene? I thought it was very well crafted. I thought Bella's performance, uh, they lingered on Bella on frame as Ellie there waiting to deliver that okay line. And I think you can see Ellie running the calculations in her head and trying to get a read on this man who she's trusted through thick and thin and loves probably as much or more than anyone else she's ever loved and trusted in her life and has suspicions, my impression uh, in that moment that he wasn't being truthful with her before because why else would Ellie say, tell me again, or, you know, you, tell me you're telling the truth. I don't think you ask some of that question if you clearly believe them the first time they tell you. And I think seeing, you know, happy Joel reminiscing about Sarah and equating the two together and saying how, you know, they're similar, but different. Those moments where he's like, and she had a great smile. I mean, you have a nice smile too. It's just, I felt wonderful and the human interactions of like, here's this person who has this, this human he loves with him now. And he's at a pretty good place. Um, trying but it's to also reconcile horrifying. The, the compartmentalization is also yes. horrifying, right? Like, yes, he's just murdered all these people. And he's like, yeah, you would have liked my dead daughter. You know, like, it's like, wow. The idea that he could just turn on a dime. He's not even, not even torn up about it. You know, he's not even, in fact, he's defending it. At the end, yeah, or right? when he's the, like, we, yeah. Yeah, the choice he made for all of humanity also, right? Like yeah. it's, it doesn't seem to be weighing on him at all. Um, I think really well put. And I loved how it was set overlooking um, Jackson and yeah. Maria and Tommy and what that life is. is it, to some extent, and I joked about this at the beginning of the show, uh, the season, meet a character, character dies. Like death and destruction follows Joel because we met him before Ellie, wherever he went. And now they're standing over Jackson. You know, like there's so much at the end of this that's just like, ooh, it's not, again, not a cliffhanger like Bush is rumbling, but like, my gosh, there's so much awesome stuff at the end of this episode, while I think also delivering a very satisfying finale. Um, great television, my friend. Great television. I agree. And I read Ellie saying okay at the end as. Um, 
not her believing him. You know, I, I, that's my interpretation of the performance is she doesn't believe him, but she like, she doesn't believe it deep down, but she's like, I understand that I need to accept this reality for us to continue. That's kind of my interpretation of Ellie's okay line at the end. Um, the show is really about what happens when everything is taken away from someone, in this case, Joel. And when a glimpse of that is given back to him, what happens, well, the, the extent that he is willing to go to make sure he doesn't lose it again. Um, and we've talked about this, we've debated this, but I think it's incredibly dark. Like I, I, I don't, it's certainly not hopeful in my opinion. I think it's an incredibly dark and true. Like, I don't think it's untrue. It feels very true, but it's an incredibly dark message and notion about what humanity is and, and what humans are capable of. Um, and like the cost of this kind of protectionism, this isolationism, this like, I must maintain my position at all costs. Um, the enormous cost that that exacts on people around you. Um, so anyway, I don't know if you have any more thoughts generally on season one, Christian, because we're at the end, we're going to do another bonus episode. So like, be sure to tune in next week. Um, but yeah, any other thoughts on like this episode or this season of television, Christian? I think it's great television up there with, you know, I want to reflect on it a little more uh, and give it some time. But up there, I think my my snap judgment of it, again, as a franchise, I've already loved, but up there with some of the very best. And I think it does a really great job in a very different way than the game of making you arguably root and care for a bad person or Mm -hmm. a morally great, not not a hero. Right, not yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Bad, good, bad. I don't want to get into that argument. I but would say moral. I'd say it's safe to say he's morally reprehensible. I mean, I think that's. I feel comfortable with that designation. You know, yeah. I, I think the only reason I want to go that far is that I don't know what we would do in those situations. It's easy for me to be like, yeah. I'm sitting here in front of a beautiful computer with several <laughs> monitors, and be like, right, that right. human, I would not do that. Yeah. Um, but you know, making them... How dare we judge Joel for murdering 30 people? <laughs> Chris is like, not... maybe I'm capable of that. <laughs> hey, I have been working out. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Yes, um, yes. But it's not a Breaking Bad style show, right? Where it's like an anti-hero, but you're rooting for because you meet them before they're an anti-hero. Like, we see a horrible event happen to yeah, Joel. He's, he's, he has a lot of sympathetic backstory. Like, you, you can understand yes. how someone yes. would get to that point, right? For sure. But he is fundamentally, at the very least, amoral and at the worst, like, um, evil. But I I would never call him evil myself, but, like, morally reprehensible, I think, is, like, he has done horrible things um, for all in the sake of preserving his own uh, emotional and mental health, basically, right? And I think Um, the show did a wonderful job making you care about that character. And, again, the game... I think that it's kind of shortcutted because you play as it. So you embody yourself a little bit in this character you want to believe in because you are good and you're playing as this character and that's good. And I think the show was able to bring people on that journey in a way without that tool, without the tool of interactivity. And I think they nailed it. I think the ending hits just as hard and in some ways harder. Um, uh, yeah. And, and just, again, the performances over and over, everybody just, I know you have your, your Kathleen character uh, gripes, but I think even as a character, perhaps that maybe missed the mark for you, I think wonderfully performed 
and acted. And I think across the board, just exquisite talent, um, adapted a very popular thing and knocked it out of the park. And that is not adaptations aren't easy and adapting popular and beloved things, I think is even harder. (laughs) And I think they nailed it. Yeah, I agree. I think that the finale is a home run. Um, I think it really nails this ending. The ending is haunting. They did a great job. We have some nits that we picked with it, but like it doesn't, these are very minor things compared to at the end of the day, they told a really compelling story that resonated with tens of millions of people. Um, on HBO Max and HBO, and it's just, it's really impressive. It's really impressive. So, gotta give props uh, where props are due. And uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk about the show with you, Christian. We have more thoughts. We're gonna have more thoughts come up in the next week. Like we haven't even seen like as we're recording this, we haven't even seen everyone's reaction to it yet. So, we're gonna have more thoughts. I urge you to keep subscribed to podcast.decodingtv.com um, and to decodingtv.com because we're gonna have a lot more thoughts uh, in our bonus episode next week. Uh, and season one postmortem of The Last of Us. Until then, Christian Spicer, where can people find more of your work on the internet? ChristianSpicer.com works well. I got links to everything in there, including the video game podcast I host with Jeff Kanata called DLC, uh, the graphic novel I wrote called Consequences, where you can buy that. And I also can mention now officially for the first time because they publicly announced it with the trailer. I've been writing on an indie video game called Raw Raw Boom. That is Woo! a brawler about ninja cheerleaders uh, in space in the future who have to come back and save humanity. Really awesome art style um, and like bright, colorful, vibrant world. And so you can look up Raw Raw Boom from Guiley Games. And, and uh, I think it's on Steam if people are into video games and you can wish list it there. It's been awesome working with that team and the characters they've created are really cool. It's called Raw Raw Boom. Wonderful. Uh, find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us. Let us know what you thought of the finale. We'll probably talk about a bunch of your emails at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at, U- at decodingtv, uh, also on YouTube as well. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to all of our decodingtv.com members for uh, for supporting us this season. Thank you, Christian Spicer, for putting up with my opinions. Until next week, we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.